The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And we'd like to read verses 1 to 4, particularly focusing on phrase in verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And certainly, that's one of the most important needful benefits of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together and engaging in public worship is to lift our gaze, to lift our gaze from all of the problems of this world, to not be solely consumed with the things around us, but seek those things which are above. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Verse three, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God through Christ and his death and burial and resurrection and certainly the new birth that we've been given by the immediate work of the Holy Spirit on our heart. We have been born again, but then in a real sense, we've been made dead to the world. We don't enjoy the things of the world in the manner that we used to. Our true affection is set upon heavenly things now. We have a spiritual mind and a spiritual heart that doesn't crave the things of the world. The the heart of the child of God, the born-again child of God, is not happy or content or satisfied with the things of the world anymore. Now we have a spiritual heart that desires spiritual stimulus, that that desires spiritual interaction. And we are dead to this world, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And uh, that is just such a comforting, safe, uh, protective verse is the words that have come to my mind this week. Uh, Your life is hidden with Christ. That's really good by itself, right? That That our life is hidden with Christ, but then you have this double seal, this double stamp of approval, this double uh, second level of protection and safety. Your, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, certainly we know that Christ and God the Father are perfectly one, uh, three persons in one and one in three. But I believe we can also add in here, your life is hidden with Christ in God, in the Holy Spirit too, right? You are protected and safe in all three members of the Trinity. And we know the sovereignty of God and the power of God, and we're in Christ. There's no way you can get out of Christ. So therefore, there is no way 
when you are protected and hidden with Christ in God, there is no way that anyone can truly take away your life. Now, we can lose our natural life, certainly, but that only begins our real life. <laughs> I mean, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, when someone passes away, even if they are, uh, they take away their physical life. Uh, uh, Jesus said multiple times in, in the Gospels that don't fear someone who can just take away your natural life. Fear the one that can uh, take away your uh, your body and soul in hell, right? So don't, don't be afraid about someone that can take your natural life. I mean, even if we have the, the privilege such as Stephen, if we're called upon and, and God and his providence allows us to, to be a witness for him and maybe even a martyr for him. Uh, we looked at Stephen, uh, I believe, a little bit last week that if we're called to that and God blesses us with that grace in that moment, the worst they could do is get our eternal life started quicker. <laughs> so there, there is no way that they, uh, that anyone can, can take away or injure or diminish in any way our eternal life, right? That, that's safe and protected, but certainly our life here in our lives as well, the abundant life, is hidden with Christ in God uh, here in our lives as well. Verse four, when Christ, who is our life, so it clarifies that Jesus is our life. And he said that about himself in his ministry, right? John chapter 14 and verse 6. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Paul said uh, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, why is to die gain? Well, if my life is solely characterized by Christ, if my life is solely focused on fellowship with Jesus, that's why death is gain, because now uh, all the limitations for experience and the fullness of life with Jesus, we, have, we can have great blessings in serving God and, and pressing into the abundant life that he has given us here in time. We can have great blessings in that, but it's always diminished by our own sins and shortcomings and our flesh but finally, all of those limitations are taken away when we go perfectly into heaven, either at our death, or as it says here, Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. If we happen to be among those that are still living when Jesus comes back the second time and we are translated and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're transfigured and glorified in that moment at the second coming of Jesus and then so shall we ever be with the Lord. But I like that characterization of Christ here who is our life, right? That to live is Christ and to die is gain. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And that word hidden literally means to cover or to conceal or to protect and that is a safe place to be, right? Isn't it a safe place to be to know that you are in Christ? And if you're in Christ, there is absolutely nothing that can get you out of Christ. Let's look at a couple verses that, that highlight that point of us being hidden with Christ in God. Now, in an eternal sense, how did we get in Christ? Second uh, Timothy. Actually, let's go to, um, let's go to Ephesians 1 first. Ephesians 1. How did we get in Christ? Well, 
You didn't get in Christ by you choosing to get in Christ. Um, we're going to make our way here in just a minute, hopefully, Lord willing, to um, Exodus chapter 33 and Moses being put in the cleft of the rock. Okay, Now, how did Moses get put in the cleft of the rock? Did Jesus say, okay, now anyone that's very interested in seeing my glory, anyone that's very interested in believing on me, if you go up the mountain and turn a left, make a left here and then go around the corner, and if you go here, you're going to, if you follow these directions, right, if you perform these works, you go over here, then you'll arrive at the cleft of the rock, and then you'll be, be blessed to see my glory. How, how did Moses get in the cleft of the rock? We're going to see that it says there that God put him in the cleft of the rock, right? That's how he got in the rock. <laughs> so how did we get in Christ? How did we get in Christ? We don't make a decision to get in Christ. The only way, the only access to get in Christ is obviously he's the one who's got to let you in, right? <laughs> and how does he let you in? He doesn't let you in by works. He doesn't let you in by something that you do. He lets you in solely by his free and sovereign grace, right? So how do we get in Christ? How do we get in Christ? We get in Christ because God put us in Christ. Ephesians chapter 3. Excuse me. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, uh, we're going to highlight quite a few of these, but, but there are a lot more in Scripture. And if you, if you want a good study for this week on your own time, if you want a good study... You go look at everywhere in Scripture where we are in Christ. We're going to highlight a couple of them. But that, that is, uh, I, I could post up for about a couple months preaching on just in Christ, okay? So I would encourage you to study on that on your own. All spiritual blessings in heaven and places in Christ. According as he hath chosen us. We've been elected and chosen. And what was the basis of our choice? In him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Okay, now God's love, right? God is love. So that's another way of saying in Christ, right? Having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, <clears throat> of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, and in the beloved there is speaking of Jesus Christ. So, according as he hath chosen us in him. Okay, God chose us in Christ. How did we get in Christ? God chose us and he put us there. He put us in the cleft of the rock. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 9. Let's well, beginning with verse 8 for a little bit more context. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling based on what? What's the, what's the reason? What's the basis of our salvation and the holy calling here being the new birth? Not according to our works, not by something we did, not by an action we performed, not by a baptism, not by belief, not by a prayer. We are not saved uh, and called by our works, but we're saved according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus. When? Before the world began. So the idea that someone shows up 
here in this world as an unregenerate person that's going to hell, and if they don't perform an action in their life to get in Christ, then God's going to send them to hell. That can't square with you being in Christ from before the world began, right? Right? You don't get in Christ when you make a decision to perform an action here in this world. That's salvation by works. You are in Christ before the foundation of the world because God has chosen us and then he has graciously, in verse 10, given us the message of that salvation. We're not saved to heaven by the gospel. We have the knowledge and the information of what God has already done for us through the gospel, but now is made manifest. It's enlightened by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We don't receive eternal life through the gospel. Instead, it's the light switch that illuminates the salvation we already have in verse 9. I mean, how would you know that God had chosen you before the foundation of the world to eternal life, how would you know about that if you didn't have the gospel to inform you of that information? It brings life and immortality to light. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and in verse 30. This is interesting, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. Um, but of him... Of God, of Christ, of him are you in Christ Jesus. You know, that's interesting, right? You're not in Christ because you made a decision to believe in Christ. What's the basis of you being in Christ? Of God, right? <laughs> that's pretty simple. But of him are you in Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So how are you in Christ? Of God, right? And how did you get in Christ? God chose you and put you there before the foundation of the world. Now, um, let's highlight, um, uh, you can go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. But as you're turning there, I want to read a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to highlight that many of these references, particularly in the Old Testament, um, are speaking of Jesus Christ as the rock, capital R, rock. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 4. And did all drink of the same spiritual drink, and they drank of that spiritual rock, capital R, rock, that followed them, and that rock was Christ, okay? That rock was Christ. Now, think about that rock, well, actually multiple physical rocks, but they went to a couple of different places and then there was a time where they complained and then Moses spoke to the rock and y'all know very well uh, the, the molecular composition of a rock doesn't have any water in there. You know, there's some things that have water in it. If you squeeze it, you know, maybe a little bit of water. Well, you can't do anything to a rock to squeeze out what There's no water in a rock, right? But then he speaks to the rock in the middle of the wilderness, and then water comes out of the rock. There's a later time where Moses is told to speak to it. He gets upset, and he hits it. He strikes it twice and caused him a lot of problems by doing that. But God was still gracious, even in spite of Moses' disobedience, for the water to come out of the rock, Okay. 
Now, those were natural people that literally had that miraculous H2O that came out of a water, out of a rock, right? But the greater lesson there is the fountain of living waters, Jesus Christ. Uh, the he says in um, John chapter four in his interactions with the Samaritan woman, if you believe on me, then you will have um, the uh, the spring, the well of eternal life. Uh, I better just turn there, make sure I get that language right. Um, John chapter 4, verse 14. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Okay? So, therefore, Jesus is the rock. There's not naturally any water in a rock, but out of Jesus, the capital R rock, the spiritual rock, there is... Fountains of living water that flow out of Christ, okay? Um, so let's go to Exodus chapter 33, and we have this account here of Moses, and he has requested to see the glory of God. He's, he is uh, seeking the Lord's guidance and direction. Verse 13, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. And the Lord says, I, I beseech thee now, show me thy glory. And he said in verse 19, Exodus chapter 33, And I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy unto whom I will show mercy. So another aspect of this is why... Yes, Moses, there's a reason why he asked to see the glory of God. I mean, that's, that's evidence that he loves the Lord, that he desires that. That's not a request that an unregenerate person would ever make. They don't desire to see the glory of God. But what is the basis and the determining factor of God's glory being manifest to Moses and not to everyone else? What's the basis of that? What's God's mercy and choice to be gracious to him, right? That's the language we see. Um, we'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. That's the same language that's used in Romans chapter 9. Why did God love Jacob and then leave Esau in the ruined, fallen condition that he was in? Why did he choose to love Jacob? Well, some people might say, well, is there unrighteousness with God? That's not fair. That's not fair that God chose to love Jacob. What's the rebuttal to that? I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, right? It's the sovereignty and the choice of God. So therefore, um, what's the basis of Moses being put in the cleft of the rock? What's the basis of uh, this special intimacy of his glory being manifested to Moses? It wasn't based solely on what Moses did, it was based on God choosing to be merciful and gracious, right? It was based on his sovereignty and his will. Verse 20, And thou canst not see my face, there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. And this is interesting language. I want you to catch this. I, I hadn't really noticed this before as I was reading back through this. Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. 
and it shall come by, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by, and I will not make, I will not take away my hand, thou shalt see my back parts, and my face shall not be seen. So he says, physically, Moses, you go over to this rock and you stand on the rock. Okay? You go stand on the rock. And he said, I'm going to pass by and I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. Now, was that is that figurative? Or, or did he pick up Moses and there was another part of the mountain that he took him back to the other part of the mountain and there was a physical cleft in the rock? I don't really know which one it is. I mean, he, he said, you stand right here on this rock, and I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. Did he physically pick him up and put him in a crack on the side of the mountain, or did he stand in the exact same place, and this cleft of the rock was just the manifest presence of God? You see that? You see? And I don't really know which one it is, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's not that relevant, right? Did he physically move Moses to a crack in the side of Mount Sinai, or was he standing in the exact same place and the cleft of the rock is just the manifestation of God's glory. I think that I could maybe lean toward it's just the manifestation of God's glory. Okay? So, with some of the same language, let's go to um, Song of Solomon. And this picture of um, Solomon and the romance with his uh, Shulamite maid, which is a picture of Christ and his romance with his bride, the church. And here in Song of Solomon chapter 2, this is um, Jesus speaking to the church, okay? And it introduces Jesus here in Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 8, the voice of my beloved. You remember in um, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6 we read, hath made us accepted in the beloved, made us accepted in Jesus. So this is the voice of Christ, the voice of our beloved. But now the beloved is speaking, because <clears throat> it says in verse 10, my beloved spake and said unto me. So these are the words of Jesus. Okay, These are the words of Jesus speaking to the church. The words of Jesus speaking to his bride. So this is Jesus speaking to his church, and he says in verse 14, O my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock. So who's the dove? It's, it's the bride, right? It's the church. Oh, my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice. For sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely unto me. So Jesus is speaking to his church, his bride, and he's saying, I know that you're in the cleft of the rock. <laughs> now, how did that bride get in the cleft of the rock? Well, you know Jesus put her there, right? That's the only way you can get in the cleft of the rock. And by the way, uh, that's another reason I maybe tend to think um, that the uh, the cleft of the rock there um, is more of a spiritual experience than a physical location is because um, he didn't give directions for Moses to go to a physical crack in the mountain. Okay? And in like manner with the bride, he didn't say, I'm up here in the cleft of the rock. I want you to come up here and fellowship with me in the cleft of the rock. He just simply said, you're in the cleft of the rock. 
Well, how are you in the cleft of the rock? Because the bride is encompassed in the love of the beloved, right? The bride is encompassed in the love of Jesus. And certainly that's the place that we are in, thankfully, praise God, in the, uh, in the, as the bride of Christ as well. So with that in mind, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, <clears throat> speaking of Christ and his bride, Christ and his beloved, his bride, his church, being protected and safe. This is, this is really the thought that I want you to, to think about uh, as we're going through this, of the safety, the safety of being hidden with Christ in God. Because I'll tell you, there's a lot of things in this world that can cause us a lot of concern and fear and anxiety. I mean, think about just the last two years where, I mean, we need to make good decisions and, uh, and make good medical decisions based on the information that's available. But there are some people that have lived in absolute terror and they think the COVID is the first germ and the first virus that's ever showed up. Make good, appropriate medical decisions. But remember, your life is hidden with Christ in God. <laughs> okay? Don't be terrified. COVID is not the first germ that's ever been on the face of the earth. COVID is not the first virus that's ever been on the face. And you know what COVID does? It acts like every other virus. <laughs> it acts like every other virus. There's a lot of people that are very concerned about Russia and Ukraine. I'm one of them. <laughs> This could get bad. It could get ugly. But I'm not going to get terrified over it. Why? Because ultimately, my life is hidden with Christ in God. I mean, there, there's such a safety and a protection of viewing the events of this world. That, that's essentially what, um, what uh, uh, it says there. Uh, stay in Ephesians 5, but I, I just want to go to, to Romans chapter 8 real quick. That's essentially what he's telling you in our memory verse that we read just this morning. They had all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I mean, just back up to verse 35. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? I mean, you're in the love of Christ. You've been in the love of Christ since before the foundation of the world. Is there anything in this world... Anything in our life right now that can affect you being in the love of Christ and in Christ, and is there anything that's going to separate that, you, between uh, an eternity in heaven with God? What the Holy Spirit is telling you through Paul is no. <laughs> okay? What shall separate us from the love? Is there anything that can separate you from being in Christ? Is there anything that can separate you from being hidden with Christ in God? To put it a different way. Now, these are the things that give us a lot of heartburn here in our life, isn't it? These are the things that we get worried about. What's going to separate us from being in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Hey, those are things to be worried about here in time and make appropriate decisions to deal with those. But they have to be viewed the problems of this world have to be viewed with the understanding that we are safely protected in the cleft of the rock. Which, by the way, side note, I forgot. The cleft of the rock. Jesus the rock. The rock. Well, why is there a cleft in that rock? I mean, Jesus is perfect, right? That's a perfect boulder. 
You know, I think about uh, when he was interacting with Peter. Who do men say that I am? And then Peter says, thou art, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Peter means a little bitty pebble. You're a little bitty pebble, but upon this boulder of a rock, <laughs> I'm going to build my church. God would not be so foolish to build his church solely on the little bitty pebble of Peter that a couple years later would get scared by a young maid and deny him three times. <laughs> you think the Lord would build his church on such a vacillating pebble as Peter? <laughs> no, he's saying, he's essentially pointing at Peter and saying, you're a pebble, but upon this rock, the rock of ages, I'm going to build my church, okay? But so he's a perfect rock, but why is there a cleft in the rock? <laughs> why is there a cleft in the rock? Because Jesus came into this world and he submitted to give his life for the elect. And I believe that cleft of the rock is a picture of that Roman sword that was put into the side of Jesus. Why is there a cleft in the rock? It's because he suffered that to occur to give his life to save his bride. Why is there a cleft in the rock? You know, Jesus, when he came back, he wasn't, uh, the, the, those uh, prints in his hands and, the, and the, uh, the hole in his side, those didn't evaporate when he was resurrected, right? It's still there. It's still there. So in heaven right now, Jesus Christ, the rock of ages, is sitting with a cleft in his side and holes in his hands. You see? Now, what's really special about that is that he says, you're in the cleft of the rock. You see? Yes, there is a, there's a fissure. There, there is a, there's a crack in the side of the rock of ages that is evidence of your eternal salvation. But you are safely protected in that cleft of the rock. <laughs> Isn't that good? You are safely protected in the cleft of the rock of ages. Okay, Romans chapter 8. Nay, and all these things are more than conquerors through him. Okay, now these are the things that get us nervous in our natural life around us, right? For I am persuaded neither death nor life. And there is no, that's not a coincidence that death is the very first thing listed in this, uh, in this list. Because there's a lot of challenges in this world. But outside of having the perspective of the Holy Ghost and dying grace, death is a fearful thing. It's a fearful thing. But even in death, the child of God doesn't need to be concerned that that can get you out of Christ, which, by the way, side note, there's also nothing about the manner of your death that can get you out of Christ. There's some people that would say that you're in Christ, you accepted Christ, you're, you're saved eternally, but if you commit suicide, you're out of Christ. He's kicking you out. You're going to heaven. You're in Christ. I make one bad decision at the end of my life. All right, you're kicked out. You're not out. You're, you're out of Christ. Well, guess what? Not only death, but there is no action in life, either your action or anybody else's action. There is no action that can occur in life that can get you out of Christ. You see? There's not a single action that can get you in. And that's, a good, that's good news. 
You want to know the, you want to know the reason why that's good news? Because nothing can get you out. <laughs> if it was a revolving door, if it was a revolving door, we would not be able to take comfort in these verses right here. Because you know what? If I got if I got in in Christ today, in the love of Christ today, but I can mess up and get out tomorrow, that is a scary revolving door that I would never have any peace and assurance that I was truly hidden with Christ in God. Because there are things in life that can affect my eternal security. But the Holy Spirit says, church at Rome <laughs> and every child of God after you, you don't need to be worried about that because God put you in Christ. There's no way you can get out and there's nothing that can happen in your life or in your death or angels. I mean, people get worried about Satan. We need to take Satan seriously. But Satan cannot touch your eternal life, you see? nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. There's a lot to be concerned about in principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Don't you know that these Romans, these Christian Romans who were commanded to pray for kings and those that are in authority, they were commanded to pray for Nero, who was killing Christians. They were commanded to pray for him, that, we, that they could live a quiet and a peaceable life. Pray for him, but don't you be afraid of him. Don't you be afraid of that power that he has. Why? Because the worst he can do, like I said earlier, is get eternal life started faster. Okay? Don't be afraid of powers here in this world. Nor things present, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen in our life that's going on right now that can cause a lot of, a lot of anxiety, but certainly that can't get us out of Christ. And now this is the, this is the big one. Well, there's a lot of big ones in this list. But don't we, don't we all... Fear the future. The what if. The what might happen. That's the, that's the beast that none of us can conquer, right? <laughs> the what if. And it doesn't matter what that what if is in your mind. There's nothing that can happen in the future that can get you out of the love of Christ either. You see? And that's why we can have peace and security, you see? That's how we can have peace is because we're in Christ and there is nothing that can get us out of Christ, nothing. Okay, back to Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Skipping down to verse 30. We are members of his body. And of his flesh. I, this is why we can have eternal security. Is for anyone to destroy one of the elect from going to heaven. They would have to take down the whole trinity. <laughs> because we are one with Christ. You see? We are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. And we're safely protected in the cleft of the rock. For this cause shall man leave father and mother. And shall we join unto his wife, and two may be one flesh. And this is a great mystery. That's a great lesson for uh, natural marriages. But the greater lesson is I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, there is nothing that can separate the church from Christ because we are one flesh. Let's go to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
2 Timothy chapter 2. And there are some people here that have been faithful disciples of Christ, but now some false teaching came in, and they've been bewitched. And, it, and they said, verse 18, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. And I, don't, I just can't, for the life of me, understand so many in Christianity's fascination with making everybody a false professor. If you fall away, if you don't believe, it, it, if you meet all these criteria, you weren't really saved to start with. It says that they overthrow the faith of some. If you have faith, that's the fruit of the Spirit. You're a child of God, okay? He didn't say, man, these were false professors this whole time. I knew it all along. And finally, they fell away and they finally proved me right. No, these were devout children of God and members of most likely the Ephesian church where Timothy ministered. And there was some false teaching that came in and they got bewitched. They got confused. And they erred from the truth. They erred from the truth. Now, what consolation did Paul take in that? Yes, there are some that have faded away. That stony ground, that thorny ground that has faded away. But nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Now, let's back up to verse 13 now. Same context. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Now, there are some children of God that won't come to the fullness of understanding of what Christ has done for them here in this world. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about people who were faithful, but they got to the point in their life, just like the disciples, where Jesus said, you have little faith, you have no faith. In that moment, they got bewitched, they got confused, and in that moment, they didn't believe God. In that moment, they had no active faith being exhibited in their life. And do we need to allow, in our mind, the foundation of God to be shaken when we see what was formerly a faithful disciple from our perspective and they get confused and they make mistakes does that cause cracks in the foundation of God? Paul said, no, no, don't be concerned about that, right? <laughs> the foundation of God still stands sure, right? There are some people that have been bewitched by false doctrine, but you don't need to question, oh, wait a minute. You know, I, I thought that all of God's people were going to be saved to heaven, but now there's someone I used to have confidence in. Now I don't have confidence into them. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe there is 20% of the people that God chose that, that are going to fall away. I mean, I, I hope that I'm among the 80%, right? <laughs> I hope I'm among the people that are going to, but maybe there is a group of people. Maybe there is a group of people that are cracking the foundation of God. <laughs> he said, no, you don't be concerned about that, right? No, the foundation of God is still secure, as secure and intact as it's always been from before the foundation of the world. <laughs> but... If we believe, do you, do you notice there how Paul puts himself in the shoes of the people who believe not? You want to make everybody a false professor? He says, I could get to the point where I don't believe. 
He said, look, I keep my body under subjection lest I myself should also become a castaway. Okay? If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. <laughs> right? Yet he abideth faithful. Why? He cannot deny himself. I don't have good children's stories because we don't have children yet. But I've heard many ministers use this kind of analogy that you know what, and, and we'll, we'll see, Lord willing, what we might be blessed to have. But if we have boys, there's a good chance they're going to show up with blonde hair and blue eyes and look just like all the rest of the wise boys. All right. Well, you know what? You can't deny the imprints and the traits of your heritage when you are a family member and you're one with them, okay? Now, if a son doesn't act right, if the son looks at his father, <laughs> if any of your parents maybe had this circumstance, if the, if, the, if the son looks at his father and points his finger in that, you're not my dad, okay? Well, that, that child in that moment, he is not believing, is he? <laughs> I mean, that, that child is pointing his finger in the, in the face of his dad and saying, I do not believe that you're my biological father. Well, you can be wrong if you want to. But guess what? You are still my, my lineage. <laughs> you're my son. I mean, you, you, can, you can convince yourself you're not my son, and you can act in a way that dishonors the family name. But Christ cannot deny himself. Why? Because we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. There's not a single child of God that's ever been in Christ that can ever get out of Christ because we are one. Doesn't it make you feel good to know that you are one with Christ? And the only way I can be ever defeated, the only way I can be taken out of Christ is if God is defeated. And we know that ain't going to happen because he's sovereign, right? Okay. A couple verses to highlight very quickly uh, in the psalm by way of closing. Just a beautiful, I believe, imagery and picture um, that I think hopefully will give you a lot of comfort. Um, in looking at these verses, being hidden with Christ in God. Um, Psalm 17 and in verse 8. Keep me as the apple of the eye and hide me under the shadow of thy wings. I mean, that's a safe place to be, isn't it? That God says, I'm going to protect you and you're in me, you're in the cleft of the rock, but I'm going to protect you under the shadow of my wings. Psalm 57, and in verse 1. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be over. I mean, there's, there's calamities. You know, it says here in the uh, information, the historical information of this particular psalm, uh, right before verse 1, if you have those notes in your Bible, to the chief musician of David when he fled from Saul in the cave, all right? So he's fleeing from his life. The king is trying to kill him, and he is taking comfort in the fact that there's a man that's trying to kill me. There's a man who, is, who, is, who has galvanized the entire kingdom to take my physical life, but it's okay because I am protected under the shadow of God's wing. Well, don't you know that gave him comfort, right? Mm -hmm. Don't you know that gave him peace in the midst of a 
of a trying situation. And then Psalm 61 and verse 4, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert, the covert of thy wings, the protection and the safety of being covered and protected by God's wing. You know, I want you to really understand, think about David, about how practical that is. Because he was, you want to talk about being afraid about death and life and powers and things that could physically take your life here in this world. He was living it out every single day, right? He was afraid of losing his natural life every single day. But essentially, he took peace and comfort in the midst of those calamities. Please protect me until these calamities be overpassed. And Lord, I am safe. I am safe because I am protected by the shadow of your wing. In other words, I'm hidden with the protection of God. Um, we'll stand and sing a hymn to close out services today. I want to highlight a couple of these. We already sang Rock of Ages, right? It's interesting how many of these, I probably missed a couple of them, um, how many of these uh, hymns keep gravitating back to the language of the Rock of Ages, mm-hmm. right? That, that's just beautiful imagery, isn't it? It's beautiful imagery. Um, Jesus, Lover of My Soul, number 424. You know, there's a couple songs it seems like that I just always come back to when I've had a bad day. Farewell, vain world, I'm going home. This world's so vain. And I, farewell, vain world, I'm going home. And um, one of those other songs I seem to start humming to myself every now and then when I've had a bad day. Jesus, Lover of My Soul, let me to thy bosom fly. Uh, the third stanza. Hide me, O oh, my Savior, hide. Till the storm of life is past. Uh, that, that comes to my mind a lot when I've had a bad day. <laughs> Lord, hide me, O oh, my Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past. Safe into the haven guide, O oh, receive my soul at last. Uh, you can look on your own time, look at Rock of Ages, number 399, hide thou me, O oh, Rock of Ages, hide thou me. Um, we'll sing number 355 to... Uh, to close out services, and this is sweetly resting, sweetly resting, number 355. Again, beautiful, beautiful imagery here. In the rifted rock I'm resting, safely sheltered I abide. And this is the practical application of this. Isn't it good to know that we are in Christ and there's nothing that can separate us? We are saved by grace alone. There's nothing separation. But there no foes nor storms molest me while within the cleft I hide. Just like David, he felt his life was in danger, but he felt safe. See that? David felt safe. Why? Because he was protected in the cleft of the rock. And then uh, the fourth verse, in the rifted rock I'll hide me till the storm of life is past, all secure in this blessed, re- blessed refuge, heeding not the fiercest blast. Now I'm resting, sweetly resting, in the cleft once made for me. Jesus, blessed, rock of ages, I will hide myself in thee. In the rifted rock I'm resting, safely sheltered I abide. There no foes nor storms
Thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.